Today's episode of the BS Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek. That's our presenting sponsor. That's the only fan-friendly app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. The Washington Post recently wrote that with SeatGeek, quote, you're sure to find excellent deals. Its app is fantastic. I agree. With the NBA, NHL, and college basketball heating up, you need tickets for all of those sports. Why not do absolutely everything on your phone? Download the free SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. We are also brought to you by Roast Battle 2. The people have spoken. It is back. The Fortnite event features top comedians getting verbally violent until just one is left standing. Features a star-studded lineup of judges, including Snoop Dogg, Sarah Silverman, Jason Sudeikis, and the Roast Master, Jeffrey Ross. It's a battle you do not want to miss. The Fortnite event begins January 26th, 10, 9 Central on Comedy Central. And don't miss the live finale on Sunday, January 29th, also at 10, to see who gets crowned the king or queen of cruelty. And we are brought to you by TheRinger.com. That's where I wrote not one, but two columns last week. I had a piece about the NBA All-Star Game, Starters Ballot, and another NFL Playoffs mailbag. Go there and read the words that I wrote and read our pieces about the NBA's midseason awards, Oscar nomination predictions, the Women's March, and Super Bowl 52. And I had three podcasts last week. The one on Friday was Seth Myers and Mike Shore. It was a good one. And we put it up on Friday afternoon. It was a three-man. It was good. It was a little different. I think people will like it. And uh, if you missed that one, go back and listen to it. Coming up, Cousin Sal, Wesley Morris. Let's roll. All right, on the line right now, as he is every Monday, sometimes he's in the office, sometimes he's on the line, but I know he's excited. Cowboys, Patriots, Super Bowl, it's finally happening. Super Bowl 52, our teams are going, oh no, they're not. They're not. Are you sick because you, you know, have a not, fever? Not only did you get the te- you got the teams wrong, you got the Super Bowl number wrong. So <laughs> it was almost a good joke. It was almost a good joke. Thank you, son of a bitch. You did it again, you son of a bitch. You guys got back. I know. How did you do it? Are you sick because you have a fever, or because you watched the <laughs> Packers Falcons game yesterday and just thought the whole game about how your team would have made that a very close game and you really blew it a week ago? Yeah, there was a lot of that. I had to, I had to smack myself in the face and let go of that sometime around the third quarter. But yeah, uh, yeah, it, it makes you sick. But the the one thing that's better is I've been in a room full of Giants fans, so they must really feel sick because they're awful by comparison, right? Yeah. Well, it's hard to say whether the Packers just kind of stumbled in there and shouldn't have, or whether they ran out of gas because they were so banged up and they reached the point of no return. I thought we both thought Atlanta was just better and faster and, you know, at home, indoors, bad matchup. But you could tell from the first drive, like, not only were they faster, but they had guys open every play. They could run for 7 to 10 yards, every. it seemed like, in the beginning of every play. And Green Bay was either going to get killed with running or passing. And I don't know, when did you lock out of that game? End of the first quarter? You know, I locked out, and, like, I, to further your point, like, Matt Ryan was in a, a, a rare situation where he was quarterback of the better team. He's uh, staring an MVP award in the face, and uh, all the talk is about Aaron Rodgers. And, and you know, he's home and favored, and, and it was somehow, like, perceived as the underdog, I thought. You know, yeah. more people you talk to. So, yeah, and then they just went there and took care of business. They're just too fast, and they beat you any way you want. And from that empty set backfield, they, they, he's just – 
lights out Matt Ryan. And, uh, yeah, they were just better. And, you know, we could pick for both of these games. I think we could pick one play that was the turning point. But they were, they were blowouts. They yeah. beat the second-best team. Both home teams beat the second-best team handily. So you can't really say anything about that. Yeah, I think it, it, I agree with you. There were plays in each. The Brady fumble, which I still feel like might have been a fumble. And then the Packers yeah. with the missed field goal and then and then the big white guy fumbling inside the 10-yard line. But I still feel like the Falcons were going to put up 50 points in that game if they had to. They were going to get to that right. number. And I think my team would have put up over 40. We had, I think we had 26 first downs, and we had seven plays of 20-plus yards or more. And that was really mm-hmm. in three quarters because in the fourth quarter they were, you know, cruise control trying to just end the game. But I, I thought it, that was Brady's best playoff game he's ever played that I've seen. Oh, really? You think so? Huh? Yeah, I really do. I think he's had chunks of games like that in the playoffs, and he's done it against lesser teams, but – you know, he made Pittsburgh just look like a cream puff, and they aren't. You know, their defense is pretty good. They're physical. They hit him a few times. He just did. He made every right play. They, the Chris Hogan thing, they just took advantage of. You know, to do, to make it look that easy without Gronk, and that's why, you know, the Steelers fans would be like, "Oh, Le'Veon Bell, we didn't have." It's like we didn't have Gronk for the last two months. Like, you got, you right. know, you got to adjust if you don't have your best offensive weapon. I was surprised the Steelers couldn't really adjust on the fly because D'Angelo Williams is a good running back. You know, it's, it seemed like that took the piss out of him. But, uh, yeah. but I, you know, these are by far the two best offenses. And it's to me, it's the Super Bowl matchup that makes sense. Don't you agree? I agree. And I, I know I'm going to take a lot of shit. I get tweets and everything for kissing. Oh, you're kissing Bill's ass. And it's like, well, <laughs> you know what? I'm sorry. That's what's going to have to happen. They're in the Super Bowl again. Their quarterback yeah. was suspended the first four weeks. They deserve all the credit in the world. I apologize, but um, yeah, they couldn't. They couldn't adjust, and uh, you know, you kept. It was, it was a weird game because none of the four main running backs did anything in the in the game. But um, right. But I I thought didn't you think someone else was going to have to be a factor other than Brady? Like I thought Lewis for sure was going to be a factor, and Blunt didn't even get going until like the fourth quarter. So it was strange for me, and and no one. No one completes more catches where the receiver is backpedaling, staring at the ball, backpedaling 12 yards than, than Tom Brady. I just don't, if you don't hit him early, and the same goes for Matt Ryan, I think. If you don't hit him early, it's, it's going to be trouble, and that's what happened. Yeah, I was optimistic going into the playoffs, and we talked about it. About uh, I sound like Phil Simms right there. We talked about <laughs> Sal. We talked on this podcast about, uh, you know, it, the t- there wasn't an AFC team that I felt like could really pressure Brady and – you know, it's really not that hard to figure out after 16 years of watching it. When he has time, he's pretty much unstoppable. And when you just throw a zone at him like Pittsburgh did, and you're not going to rush him, it's I, I feel like that's a suicide mission. I don't understand that game plan at all. We have 16 years of evidence that you shouldn't do that and that there's a specific way to beat the Patriots and Brady. And they just did the opposite of it. I thought it was a really weird game plan. I thought they were sloppy. Uh, I don't think they should have been that thrown off by the bell injury. The pa- the Packers thing, you know, you look at the Packers and, the, and it's it's probably it was almost a miracle that they got to the Final Four with how banged up they were. You know, right. the Steelers were a good team, and I also I'm not scared of Roethlisberger when 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 the Pats play them. Like I don't. 
I feel like he's good, but their throws he misses. Like, I I never feel like he he's not one of those guys that all of a sudden he goes on this this giant run where he's just carrying them for a quarter. They're not that good right. in the red zone. I I don't know. I I I thought he hurt them in that game. As weird as that sounds, it's not like statistically he had that bad of a game, but I I just felt like he wasn't that good. What did you think? It- and if you take if you take a look at his playoff numbers in general, they're underwhelming. They really are. Yeah. You'll be surprised by them. But in both of these games, here's the two things you can't do: you can't rush three against either of these four quarterbacks. You can't do it. And even the Patriots got bit a little bit when they rushed three against Roethlisberger. Yeah. You know, eventually he was going to find Eli Rogers, and he did. And then they mixed it up again. You can't rush three if you're you know Green Bay, Atlanta, uh, uh, any of these teams against the four quarterbacks that played. And you have to, if you're playing Atlanta or New England, you have to turn the threes into sevens. And that was huge before the half. What was the score? Was it 17-6? Pittsburgh's driving. Now, as a Patriots fan, Jesse James, they they called a touchdown at first. Then he's down at the, I don't know, one-foot line. Yeah. As a Patriots fan, you're probably hoping they called that a touchdown, right? Because you want to save as much time and timeouts as you can. 100%. For the Brady drive to get the field goal back the other way. And they and for them to not punch it in three plays and have to kick a field goal, you know, like I said, I don't want to say one play or one series uh, swayed the game because these were blowouts, but that was huge, huge for Tomlin and the Steelers to not convert there. Yeah, that not getting the Brady fumble, but right. if you can't score from the one foot one foot line in the AFC Championship game when you have a little bit of momentum, like that's that's pretty bad. I, Why you know. are the Patriots the only team with a great, the uh, successful quarterback sneak in the league? I don't understand. <laughs> Roethlisberger is like 325 pounds. <laughs> How come he can't stick his head in, in the football? I don't, I don't understand it. I was sitting there going, please throw the fade route. Please, just do it. Right. Please, please throw it because they, we're, we're going to shut that down. The Pats are good. You know, they, they're, defensively, okay. they, they, they do this bend but don't break thing. Where they're fine with you getting whatever you want between the twenties, but in the red zone they kind of turn it up. And the problem with this Falcons game is, I'm not sure that's going to work because <laughs> the Falcons mm-hmm. have a really good. They're really good in the red zone. So, you know, I, as cliched as this sounds, I, I feel like it's going to be a whoever outscores who game. And I, I don't know if right. defense is going to be that much of a factor in this game. And you know, I don't know if you can make the. What's the over under? What did they say it was? I think it's 60, 59 and a half or 60. That it's the highest fair. in Super Bowl history. Yeah, that seems yeah. fair. We had a couple of bets yesterday. We we parlayed the Falcons and the Pats, which won. Congratulations to us. Yeah. And then we did a Falcons with the tease of the over. We teased it down to 55. So they had to score 56 points. And mm-hmm. at one point late in the first half, it was 17 nothing. And. It was like, wow, this is say say goodbye to that bet. And then they got the the end of the first half, first half touchdown, which, by the way, at some point these teams are going to start tackling the receivers at the end of the half, right? On that play, when you have one, yeah, I think so. You have one, you have one chance left to throw an eight yard touchdown or whatever, three yard touchdown, whatever it was. Just commit pass interference. Why right. not? Especially like if right, exactly. Julio's on the right side by himself, obviously they're going to throw it to him. Just tackle him. But uh, yeah. So it's twenty-four nothing at halftime, and now we're relying well, on the, some the Rogers garbage time. Well, the books are getting crushed time. on these. Uh, they can't make these overs high enough. I mean, yeah, you're right. It was like seven nothing late in the first quarter. And you're like, yeah. oh, this is going under. This is very strange. What's happening? But yeah, they're tired of getting uh, destroyed on these over under. So they have to make it like sixty or so. Can't we say that Vegas got probably 
murdered in this playoff so far? I would say they did. Oh, yeah. I think the viewers got murdered, too. I mean, there were two good games. I, if you want to count Pittsburgh-Kansas City as a good game, no. I thought it was no. I thought it was boring. Not counting But, of it. course, my team had to play the most dramatic game against Green Bay and lose. But otherwise, yeah, they were um, – they were like what was decided by an average of fourteen points. The, the both conference championships decided by at least nineteen points hadn't happened since nineteen seventy eight. Yeah, it's crazy. We had eight double digit out of the ten playoff uh, mm-hmm. playoff spreads, and then your your the Cowboys Packers was one of the best playoff games of this decade. I think mm-hmm. the Giants Packers had the end of the half hail mary, which was great, and then. Right. Other than that, crap. First first round was crap. Other than the Hail Mary, second round other than the Cowboys Packers and this one, you th- you I was watching going we're screwed. And I and I picked in my column, I picked the Steelers plus 6 just cuz I I thought they could keep it close and maybe get a garbage TD. I thought the Pats were going to win, but usually you have the blowout first, then that means the second one's close. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't close either and then all of a sudden we're in the Super Bowl. It's weird. I I would say it's a very 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 disappointing postseason. I looked around to who I was watching with, the people I was watching with, and I said, you know, because Atlanta had run away with it, I said, this second game doesn't have to be close because the first one was a blowout. Just remember that. Right. It doesn't have to be like that. And, uh, but somehow, yeah. somehow it, always, it always seems like that's how it plays out, and I'm sure that's not true. I'm sure statistically it doesn't play out that way. Well, the one thing Vegas had, you know, I'm sure there was a lot of Green Bay money line, Pittsburgh money line, Pittsburgh teaser. Both overs hitting was not good for Vegas. Green Bay and Pittsburgh in the second half were losers. Yeah. Uh, Green Bay was minus four and a half. What, what were they? Was it twenty four nothing at half? Yeah. You would think minus four and a half for Green Bay is good in the second half. Uh, Pittsburgh was like minus a half a point in the second half, and they just got brutalized. Wasn't it wasn't like sixteen nothing in the third quarter for yeah. New England. So those are big uh, Vegas winners there. But overall, you're right. We uh, we screwed up twice this year. We. We had the Pats in the AFC East before the year that we teamed up with yeah. Hillary Clinton that became a loser. We had I, that, I don't know yet. I don't know about that yet. Are you thinking it overturned? Okay. <laughs> um, we were talking about the Falcons for all of December, about them as a Super Bowl bet, and if they get the two seed, they'd have two games at home. Why not? I remember mm-hmm. they were 10-1 to 1 for a good chunk there, and then all of a sudden people all – it seemed like a lot of people realized the same things we were talking about, and – it, it dipped way, way down. But we should just remember that going forward. You have the two seed yeah. at home. They're really good. All you need is something funky to happen with the one seed in round two. And all of a sudden, the Falcons just have two home games. And now they're in the Super Bowl playing in a dome indoors. It's per- they, like This played out perfectly for them. And it reminds me of the Saints that year when I don't know if the Saints were the best team the year they won the Super Bowl, but they played three playoff games indoors, and it was just it worked out for them. And right, you right. Know, I and think- New England before the divisional round, New England Atlanta Super Bowl matchup was four to one. That's high even for them because you figured. Right. I mean, New England was going to beat Houston, and we loved Atlanta to beat Seattle. So if you could just get to yesterday with four to one odds, that was pretty sweet. But yeah, no, we we didn't jump on that enough. So the Patriots right now. Are fifteen and three against the spread this season? Incredible. I don't remember that before. I, I'm interested. Like, if if anyone out there who is a nerd who loves this stuff can remember a team being better than fifteen and three against the spread going in the Super Bowl, if that's information is online, email it to us because 
I, I just find it hard to believe anybody beat that. You'd have to be 16-2 and two against the spread to beat that. That seems impossible, right? I don't think anyone beat that. I think the Bears, that Bears team was, I don't know, I remember reading, I think it was 14-4 and four or something before the Super Bowl or the something. The 85 something. Bears? Yeah, because they would. Everyone they play would end up with three or six points, or you know, seven. Nothing, nothing big, and they wouldn't even have to score that much to win. But uh, yeah, fifteen and three is uh, that's that's what they should do. They should they they should do the champagne toast if anyone ever beats fifteen and three against the spread, like the uh, undefeated Dolphins do. Let me ask you some questions. So, if yeah. the Pats win the Super Bowl, you're you're objective. You don't care. Uh, is Brady with five Super Bowls, is that now unassailable? He is the best quarterback ever. Yeah, I guess. See, here's okay. where I get into trouble. I should really put up a big good fight against you and everything and bring up uh, players that neither of us ever saw. But, um, yeah, why not? How much do you have to see? How much does anyone have to see from this guy? 11 conference championships, there seven Super Bowls, and has a chance to win five. And... He's 39 years old and doesn't seem to be getting worse, which is insane. How about that yeah. part? Does it seem, right. does, there's no signs of deterioration, really. If they sign him to a four-year deal tomorrow, it wouldn't be a favor. It wouldn't be like one of those no. you know, Emmett Smith favor deals. He, he, he'll, he'll last the four years, most likely. Well, I think there was one like tiny little subplot that nobody wanted to talk about is if he looked old in these playoffs— then maybe Garoppolo. Well, do we really want to trade him? Is that does that make sense? Like, right. there's 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 signs that this Brady era might be ending, and you know the way he the way Brady's rolling right now, I think it's a mortal lock that Garoppolo gets traded, and you're looking at Garoppolo and Romo on the market. Those are potentially, I I wouldn't say top five quarterbacks, but maybe in that they could climb into that next tier next year. And you watch these sure. quarterbacks that are in the playoffs. Like if Kansas city had Romo or Garoppolo, could they have beaten Pittsburgh? If Garoppolo does so. what we think, like Lombardi thinks Garoppolo is better than Alex Smith, like just point blank. But I don't remember having two available QBs in the trade market that could actually swing a playoff team. It could actually be Kirk Cousins too, if you want to, you know, unless they fool with this franchise thing again. But yeah, it's it's going to be very interesting. I counted like eight, like I, I took a lot of shit for saying that Romo might get a two, or you can get a two for Romo. But I think there's about eight teams. There is some leverage there. Eight teams that would use quarterbacks, right? When you, you say you took like shit, Arizona, you're yeah. saying you took shit like from anonymous people on Twitter, or did you take shit like you're going to get? You're at dinner and the waiter's giving you shit? Like, what kind of shit? Uh, there was the waiter. I had uh, Jim Brown himself called me and said, you, you're, what are you, crazy? You're nuts. I had, uh, yeah, uh, Kellyanne Conway. It was weird. Everyone was weighing in on it. But, yeah, no, but uh, I don't know. I, I think there is a big market. I think you could get, like, a uh, second rounder for a Romo, and uh, I'm sticking by it. I think Garoppolo. See how it shakes out. Garoppolo. I think has to go for a first when you, when you watch how important quarterback play is and you look at the market of what some of these other guys get. And it's just going to be a question of how Goodell figures out how to come up with some fake reason to make us lose that first round pick. I'm sure he's working on it. So the Browns were the big winner and the Steelers in the blowout yesterday, you're saying, right? Well, if you're the Browns, do you trade the 12th pick for Garoppolo or do you roll the dice with some quarterback that's not quite good enough to be a top three franchise guy and now you're taking a guy who's in that 
Blake Bortles right. range of, you know, Maze and I were texting about this a couple weeks ago. Like that range, when you go from like pick eight to pick 17 in the first round with quarterbacks, it is not, mm. it is not good. Like you go back, it's like, oh, there's a lot of Blake right. Bortles, not Blake Bortles, uh, Blaine Gabbert. There's a lot of Blaine Gabbert type of picks in that range. And if you're Cleveland, you're like, all right, there's a quarterback. We already have the number one pick in the draft. Here's number 12. Here you go. I don't know. Um, well, I agree with you. I think Cleveland, and that, that's what I'm saying, yesterday's game was big. You might, the, the Patriots might have said, and they should have before yesterday, said, well, Brady's good for another three years. We yeah. can part with Garoppolo. And the Browns, on the other hand, yes, they have to get the fans excited about something. Find somebody who has actually played well in an NFL game. That's, that's A number one. Why not bring Garoppolo in? But um, but here's the interesting thing: Will we learn lessons from last year's draft? Will we ever see a Sam Bradford get a Sam Bradford type get a, a first pick? Well, it was a first and a third, right? They got for Bradford. Yeah, that Will was we, that was a panic yeah. kind of. Bridgewater had gone down. They felt like they had a Super Bowl team and they overpaid for Bradford, in my opinion. And it seems like they'd still go with Bradford over Bridgewater, but who knows? That remains to be seen. But the other thing is. Are you totally right about the quarterbacks in the 8 to 17 range? Now, like, looks like Trubisky's going to be the only first rounder, but maybe Dak Prescott screwed that up a little bit. Maybe teams yeah. want to roll the dice a little more. I or, don't maybe, know. or maybe Connor Cook didn't screw it up. It made people yeah, go, wow, Dak, Dak was like kind of a, a unicorn with that whole thing. But mm-hmm. if, if Kansas City gets one, like if Kansas City just looks at it and says, this is stupid. Every, we're we're going to run back Alex Smith and Andy Reid again. We, we're not winning the Super Bowl with that combination. We need a better quarterback. Right. And they trade for Romo. And I really think Kansas City is the most logical Romo team, if you really think about mm-hmm. it. Like, they are the closest um, offense, defense, everything to winning a Super Bowl, and they need a better quarterback than Alex Smith. So yeah. let's say they trade for him. Let's say the Browns trade for Garoppolo. Now you have Alex Smith out there available, too. And maybe mm-hmm. he goes back to San Francisco, or he. But I, I think there's going to be a lot of quarterback he movement. Go, he should go back to San Francisco. That's <laughs> a fun punishment for Alex Smith. I'm back, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but for those of you who want uh, one, one more uh, offering of praise to, towards uh, Tom Brady here, thank you. For those of you who are unsure if you're watching the best, consider that you're not watching a game that you're used to when he's playing. Consider the guys. I don't want to. Don't read into it too much, but with the Edelmans and the Chris Hogans, and maybe they're not your typical kind of receivers that Brady is making not good, but great on a Sunday. He yeah. is like these guys, you know, they, they, yeah, they play for Monmouth. And, you know, like I said, they're, they just run precise routes, and he rewards them for it. And uh, I don't know if you'll ever see anything like it. Well, Chris Hogan, Chris Hogan was yeah. basically let go by Buffalo. Sure. They were like, ah, we don't know what to do with this guy. I mean, I, we've all seen Buffalo's receivers. That's a pretty big leap of faith. I think getting to the Super Bowl without Gronkowski pretty easily is way, way up there. You know, you think about like, if you just took Julio Jones off the Falcons, just take him off in October, what, right. what kind of team is left, you know? And it's basically the situation the Patriots are in. Edelman, I think, I wouldn't say he's a top five wide receiver, but... I think he's on that next level, right? You'd put him, you wouldn't put him with Dez and Julio and Odell and guys like nah. that, but maybe second tier. Other second than tier that, for sure. yeah. Other than that, these are just just puzzle pieces that they these guys move around. There's certainly you wouldn't say they have any blue chippers. They have a very good offensive line this year, which I think 
Well, held... what about this? Do you think they have the best defense they've had as a Super Bowl team? Because I think they're facing the best offense they've ever faced as a Super Bowl team. No, I, I think the 3 4 defenses were really, really, really good. I mean, th- those better. are... Yeah, we, we beat Manning, I think, maybe four times in two seasons. Something mm-hmm. like that when he was when that, that team was a juggernaut offensively. I, I, I'm i still a little bit nervous about this defense. As I said, I think, I think Roethlisberger maybe missed, missed a couple, couple plays that could have helped. I think Jesse James getting tackled on the one-inch line definitely helped, but they had a great goal mm-hmm. line stand too. But the coaching is so good, and the continuity, I think, really helps them too. It's, it's, the Brady, McDaniels, Belichick, and then all the guys they have on the defensive side – be, it, when people have been together for a long time, it's just an advantage. Like I'm sure the TV show, I'm sure Jimmy's show is like that. <laughs> Where you have all these people who've worked together for a long time, you just kind of know what to do, and you become a machine. You don't have to think about it. And you think about like with the Super Bowl coming up, the Pats have been there so many times, and so for somebody like Brady, it's the seventh Super Bowl. It's like he's not even faced Mm -hmm. by one thing. Whereas like everyone in Atlanta, this is basically the first time they've been there except for Dwight Freeney and a couple other people. Coach has never been there. QB has never been there. None of their skill guys that like nobody it's, it's when you have that two weeks, it definitely is a little overwhelming. And I think that's an advantage for the Pats. It sounds like we're making a pick. I don't think we are. No, no, we're not making a pick. I I think this is an advantage. So what did we say for the Lions? you, You want to add for that? You want to add to that? You know, Matt Ryan on February fourth, Saturday, will probably be named MVP, right? Yeah, that's uh, well. Two two good things could come of that. If he's named MVP, that's extra incentive for the Patriots. We let's beat the best. He's he's named the best. Let's show him. Let's show him we have the best. If he's not, if it's Tom Brady, then Goodell has to hand him the trophy on the fourth, and then maybe the fifth of February. That would yeah. be tremendous. But something else. Yeah, what about the Goodell thing? Don't they want to beat him more than they even want to beat the Falcons? Like this is this is crazy how it's all stacked up. Well, the story, uh, yeah, this is the storybook ending, and you know, I I couldn't tell whether CBS toned down the audio, but I know the Where's Roger chants were going for basically right. from the near the end of the third quarter all the way through the fourth, and it's a big thing. I, I think people look the Boston fans. I get it. You know, there's been a lot of success. I get all the reasons the shots are taken, all that stuff. I do think mm-hmm. people don't understand how personally you take this if if you're if the beloved quarterback on your favorite team just gets wiped away and there's never really been any proof why. That's what right. so the chance to have the revenge of Goodell handing Brady the trophy after wiping him out for these first four games, I mean it's really you know, these are really higher than usual stakes. Like for yeah. Brady, the ultimate revenge, he goes down in history. For Belichick, five Super Bowls. He passes every coach who ever did that, and they're some of the legends. And, uh, you know, pretty high stakes. Yeah, um, it's almost like the Falcons, like Brady and Belichick, like, sorry, Falcons, uh, you're just in our way. Don't take it personally. We just have to, right. we have to settle this other score, this well, bigger score. But the, the stakes... The stakes for the Falcons are if they, let's say they they put up 40-plus on the Pats, Mm -hmm. they might go down as the best offense of all time. They win the Super Bowl and they they have another thing. Like, you really have to start. We always think, like, they always say the greatest show on turf. 
There was mm-hmm. that one Manning's Broncos season. Like it, there's but there's been like great offenses, but to for them to do this from beginning to end and put up six hundred plus points, I think they're over six hundred now, right? Yeah. Yeah, I they're they're so. well over six hundred. And uh and Julio I think goes up another level. There's some good I think this is a really good Super Bowl and it's and plus Atlanta's only been there once and all right, hold on, Sal. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl line, but first, let's talk about MeUndies. Valentine's Day is approaching. It's go time for thoughtful gift hunting. Thankfully, MeUndies has you covered with limited edition matching pairs of undies for you and yours. Oh, yeah, it's as adorable as it sounds with a range of styles and tons of great prints like Flamingo, Midnight Camo, and even Heavy Petal, an edgy rose pattern that's exclusive for Valentine's Day. There is sure to be something for everyone, plus MeUndies are made entirely at a modal, a fabric that's three times softer than cotton. They are unbelievably comfortable. I don't know how many times I have to tell you. The top drawer of my dresser is full of MeUndies, and that's it. Once you go MeUndies, you never go back. The world's most comfortable underwear. And if you don't love MeUndies, they'll give you your money back and let you keep the first pair for a limited time. Our listeners get 20% off their first order plus free shipping, but you have to go to MeUndies.com slash BS for it with the MeUndies Better day guarantee. You have nothing to lose. Don't wait any longer. Go to meandies.com slash BS right now for 20% off your first order. Do it. Valentine's Day is coming. All right. The Super Bowl line. What did you have for a line? Well, uh, I had, well, you went a little high. I had New England minus three and a half. What did you say? I said six and a half. I was way I off. Think you had a lot of bravado. You were watching with Patriots fans. You're like, we're the best. We're never, you know, we can't be beat. No. Vegas has it at three, and it stayed at three. And as we mentioned, 60 is the over-under. I was off. I, I really thought I thought the Pats, the pedigree, was worth an extra field goal. But I, I think the Falcons obviously won a shitload of respect these mm-hmm. last two weeks. I just thought, you know, that the history of this stuff is you have the famous proven team, and then you have the upstart team. And the famous proven team always usually seems to get the extra field goal in the Super Bowl, but not this well, year. We we get it. We get a little bit of a cheat because you know we we monitor the AFC versus NFC Super Bowl. You know the last few weeks at least we have, and it was three. It was three and a half actually last week. The AFC was favored over the NFC. Now you have to assume that's assuming that both favorites went out. They kind of even lost a half a point. New England after yesterday. I don't know how that is. Like, if home field advantage gets you three points typically, what should five Super Bowl, like seven Super Bowls, get you for a quarterback? Like that should almost be five points, shouldn't it? Yeah, I think the only hesitation that people had with this Falcons team, which led to like that Seahawks line in round two. Oh, here come the Seahawks! Oh, the veteran team, and the Falcons are just good. But it seems like nobody totally wanted to believe it, and I really think it's because of Matt Ryan. Yeah, I think. I think there was something about Matt Ryan and I would say partially to somewhat to mostly justified that people just kind of wanted to see him do it. And meanwhile, he was really good in that Seattle playoff game four years ago. You know, right. like he's it's not like he's been Andy Dalton in the playoffs. I think he's, I think, you know, like you could, you, we were comparing him to other teams in the past. That Rams offense was tremendous with Kurt Warner, but. I'll be more surprised if this offense is shut down by, you know, if, well, remember that? What was the Tampa score? It was a stupid score. It was like 14-12 or something. It, would the Rams beat Tampa in the NFC yeah. Championship? Yes. It's really stupid. I'd be even more surprised if this Atlanta team was shut down as, as, as much as that Rams team was. 
uh, years ago. Yeah, I think the the difference between that Rams team and this team, other than the fact that football is played completely differently now, and probably if you yeah. put the 99 Rams in 2017, I don't even know what the hell would happen. But mm-hmm. it just seems like this Falcons team can put up points whether Julio Jones is good or not. Right. And that's that's like a pretty special quality. Like he was unbelievable yesterday. I think it was funny in the first half he had a couple of those cro- crossing routes and it was like, "Oh man. Oh, he's going to mm-hmm. he's going to get one of those." Like he just you can feel it. And then the second half, boom. And he's just off. And it's a little like Odell. You know? It's like, "Oh, the they are oh, he's gone." Uh, yeah. se- 7 yard pass. And yeah, and he beats guys up within the rules it seems. And throws him around. The next thing you know, he's open and he's tiptoeing down the sideline. He's tremendous. I think he's the scariest receiver the Pats have ever gone against in a Brady Belichick playoff game. I was thinking about that. And they've gone against some really good ones. Owens would have been the best one, but Owens was coming off a broken leg. Nobody knew whether he was even playing or not. You know. But if you just go through all the all the seasons, like Isaac Bruce, Marvin Harrison. They never went against Randy Moss at his apex. Um, Steve Smith. Steve Smith. Tate threw out. Sorry, Tate. I wouldn't put him right. up there. But Julio is, is you know, just a monster. And yeah. fortunately for the Pats, like they, Eric Rowe didn't have a good game yesterday, but they at least have a couple cornerbacks with size that can make him think. So we have yeah, a lot of yeah, yeah. we have a lot of time to talk about this. We need to take a Don Julio shot of the week, though. You have anything? Let's do it. So next week is when we do one of my favorite podcasts of the year, the Super Bowl Prop Podcast. Yes, excited. The Henry Hanoski Memorial uh, Super Bowl yeah. Props Podcast, which we'll do on Monday. You think? Okay. Or do you want to do it? You want to do it on like, Tuesday when... or Wednesday? Yeah, we may have to do Tuesday or Wednesday because I don't know if they come out until Tuesday. All right, so we'll do it uh, midweek next week. But we're going to do a Don yeah. Julio shot of the week. Don Julio, the world's original handcraft tequila with multiple unique tequilas, including Don Julio 1942, the best luxury tequila you'll ever drink. We're going college basketball this week. We have Tate here, the host of Teed Up on the Ringer Network. And uh, and he there's a big Kansas-Kentucky game coming. And Tate, where's the, well, where's the game, Tate? Uh, it's in it's in Rupp Arena. It's in Lexington, Kentucky. Okay, it's in Kentucky. So I'm guessing Kentucky's going to be favored over Kansas. Yeah. All right. Tate likes Kansas. Uh, you like? I think we'd get like seven points if we took Kansas All right. over Kentucky. So we're going to take Kansas with whatever points we get in that game. And right. if And if Tate's wrong, um, fired. You'll see him sitting on the corner of Hollywood Vine, Hollywood and Vine <laughs> with his suitcase. And if Tate's wrong, he has to run our uh, our wins pool again next year. So you, <laughs> yeah, so you don't have Cousin Sal's sure thing this week on Facebook, but next week you will have the sure thing with uh, a Super Bowl pick and some other stuff, correct? Yes, and I came back. I'm up 41% uh, money-wise on the year. We, we, you know, you and I both had both favorites and uh, the yeah. favorites on the teaser. And there you go. Yeah, next week we're going to have a prize, uh, $5,151 to the winner of the prop challenge for Super Bowl 51. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel Live, Jake Bird at the presidential inauguration oh tonight. You love that. Oh, my old yeah. friend Jake Bird. I love that guy. It's always a good one. Dennis Quaid and Bill Burr on also. Later in the week, Matthew McConaughey, Martin Short, Lady Antebellum, and Samuel L. Jackson. Yes. That's fantastic. The Cuz, we will talk to you next week for the big Super Bowl Props podcast. Good job by you. Good job by you, Billy.
Okay, we're going to talk to uh, my old, old, old good friend, Wesley Morris. But first, let's talk about my friends at harrys.com. They sent me some razors over a year ago, and it changed my life. I don't get shaving cuts anymore. I don't get shaving zits on my neck anymore. I have a nice, clean, happy face. Thank you, Harry's. If you're not using their state-of-the-art German-engineered razors, I, I got to be honest, I feel sorry for you. And if you're not getting Harry's as a Valentine's Day gift for your husband, your boyfriend, your dad, your grandfather, Tate, whoever, I feel even worse for you. Right now, Harry's is offering you a delightful shaving kit for a close, comfortable shave. That includes a weighted ergonomical razor handle, five precision-engineered blades with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade, a rich lathering shave gel and a travel cover, Oh, Harry's is so confident in the quality of their blades. They want you to try their shave set for free. You heard that right. Just cover shipping when you sign up. That's it. Plus, as a special offer of fans of this show, you go to harrys.com right now, enter code BS at the checkout, and you get a post-shave balm that's also free. Once again, harrys.com, code BS. All right, here's Wesley Morris. All right. On the line right now, my old Grantland teammate now at the New York Times, my friend Wesley Morris. How are you? Hi, Bill. Oscar nominations this week. It's a weird Oscars. It's, you know, people are simultaneously kind of bummed out that the movies aren't a little more mainstream. But on the other hand, this is where we are with movies, right? It's either capes and superheroes or it's like it's smaller scale movies and there's no middle anymore. What do you think? Totally agree. No, I mean, it, there's no middle. There's no middle. It's uh, Jenna Worthman and I were just talking uh, like minutes ago about just how everything this year we're going to get is probably going to be a sequel or something. And it's not just the movies. It's TV, too. For no reason, we're now getting like training day in, in Lethal Weapon is television show. You know, I, I feel like it's really sad, actually. And it's it, I think nobody really wants to acknowledge how bad it is. Yeah, because it means that these Hollywood executives have to account for the the total rejiggering of their priorities and the shameless rejiggering of their priorities, so that you get from like January to <laughs> until September, there is almost literally nothing that isn't a sequel, a franchise, something that wants to be either one of those things. Um, and also things that are just coming back to life for no reason. Like Jason Bourne, that had to happen. Who was asking for that? You know, a Ghostbusters remake? Who wanted that? You know, I was thinking about movies that came out at the end of the last decade. So you take a movie like The Town, Ben Affleck, or Gone Baby mm-hmm. Gone. Mm-hmm. Gone mm-hmm. Baby Gone, I think, still comes out in the same way. And I still think it's, I still think it made, it's probably more of an indie movie. Maybe they don't, maybe it's just Casey Affleck and it's mm-hmm. nobody else you'd ever recognize. But to me, The Town. Mm-hmm. The Town is a great example of a movie that I'm not sure would do as well anymore. And The Town did no, well. No, I mean, yeah. Well, let's just, let's just like look at 2010 in general. 2010, uh, what else happened in 2010? Inception. Inception might happen now. Inception, the 2016 Inception was, I guess, Arrival, which should tell you where things are actually at. Right, um, yeah. <laughs> Toy, Toy Story 3. Uh, the social network we got in 2010, um, well, so black Swan happened, right? Star social Island. So black Swan is now like Jackie, 
you know, yeah, yeah. but like social network, even that one, social network, Moneyball, those type of movies, maybe they happen. Does a, is a studio that patient with a movie like Moneyball five years later that took forever to get made? I, I think they just scrap it at this point. They don't want to deal with it. They look at know. it and they go, I mean, it's too big of a risk. 127 hours? Yeah. Um, I mean, but this, but you know, to be fair to somebody, I guess, this was a thing that was already underway even in 2010. I mean, in 2010, you also get, like, I think that's the year the fighter happened. Um, the Kids Are All Right also happened. Easy A. Um, yeah, it has that also up in the air. You had Inglorious Bastards. You had uh, The Blind right. Side. 2010 was a good movie here, Precious. There's a lot of big ones, but I think the difference 2010 and now, people saw some of those movies and they watched the Oscars and they had opinions on them. And now mm-hmm. you're looking at the major movies that are going to be in the Oscars. And I, I can't remember an Oscars where the average person might not have seen any of any of the five movies that got nominated. You know, it's kind of unprecedented. I also think that it does this this weird thing where, like, there's this expectation now, at least according to the people who write about our entertainment, where if Moonlight only makes 15 or 16 or 17 million dollars, it's kind of it's kind of considered a stalled movie. Yeah. It's like, let's think about what Moonlight actually is for one second. It is a movie about one person told in three chapters, played by three different actors, directed by a black man that has no stakes, no car crashes. No, it's just human drama. It has made $15 million as I'm sitting here talking to you, or maybe 16 at this point. Yeah. The idea that that movie needs to make more money from an from an extremely independent studio, by the way, that the idea that that movie is is somehow like past its prime or a failure or something because it only made that much on on virtually no money to make in the first place is insane to me. But they're still using these even twenty ten ideas of what a financial success for a for a quote unquote Oscar movie. Well, doesn't um, wouldn't you say though that? It, it's almost like the goals of a movie like Moonlight are different now. You're not even talking about what that final box office figure is, but just the process of people eventually seeing it, whether it's in the theater, on demand, um, on HBO, on a streaming service, wherever. Mm-hmm. I think people, mm-hmm. I think anybody who likes movies will eventually see Moonlight. I just don't think the process yeah. is like, I got to get to the theater in the next three weeks to see it. I saw it by accident. My wife and I needed a date and we wanted to go on an old school <laughs> date and have a dinner and go to a movie. Otherwise we would have just waited till we either got a screener or, or we got a uh, on demand, but that's the way it works right. now. I don't know. Right. And I, and I have to say like, it's an, it's a catchy thing. You know, it took me, I'm kind of, I've spent a lot of my time basically at this point being a civilian moviegoer. I get invited to things still, but a lot of the time I just go on opening weekend or like at some point I'll see it. This was a year for me that was really interesting in terms of what people have chosen to pay attention to. Martin Scorsese releases, I think, it's not a great movie, Silence, but it is, it is, it is good by one of the world's great filmmakers. Yeah. Nobody's really seeing it. Um, or at least, you know, again, this is the entertainment writers reporting that, that it's sort of been underseen and considered a flop. But, I mean, relative to cost, it is not making the money it cost to me. Um, right. Pedro Almodovar made, I think, a beautiful movie called Julieta. It's kind of doing okay, but this is like one of the world's greatest filmmakers making a movie that nobody is seeing. But, uh, like, 
10 years ago or 15 years ago, everybody, many, many more people would have been going to see. Um, there's another, I can't remember the other person I was thinking about, like, oh, 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 uh, um, I think Sully is the other thing. I mean, Sully people saw, that was a hit. Sully people and, saw, but and it it's also, not getting nominated. And, it, and it's also a perfectly good Oscar movie, but for whatever reason, they they have rejected that. And I don't know if it's a political thing, um, but I mean, I actually don't know. And this idea now that something like Deadpool has become part of the best picture conversation, it's just really, it's just really telling to me. I would when, say, I would when, call it alarming. You know, <laughs> <laughs> what, what the fuck? Deadpool's going to get nominated for an Oscar? Like, what the hell's going on? I thought there might yeah, be a little. No, I, mean, I thought there might be a hidden figures groundswell a little bit because of the moment, and it's a good movie and people like be. it. and A lot of people saw it, and I think if it gets nominated, it could get a little momentum. Like I, you can't rule it out. I never thought Sandra Bullock well, was going to win an all, Oscar. Yeah, I know, I, and, and you're correct. I actually think it's really interesting that, I mean, the movie's a huge hit, both based on how much it costs to make and just like looking at what the money is. Hidden Figures is a huge hit, and it's just it, the word of mouth is really strong on it, and it's going to keep making money the way it is for probably another three weeks or four weeks. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether the Academy will like it enough to, to get it a Best Picture nomination. I'm guessing maybe, but think about what it would mean for a movie like Deadpool to be a Best Picture nominee and not Hidden Figures, and what that, what that says about what these people's priorities are, and just who's in the Academy to put things in in order to become a Best Picture nominee. As we've talked about before, the way the voting is set up, you have, enough people have to have made Deadpool their top movie of last year to get a Best Picture nomination. Uh, it has to be like, I don't know, I think it's 5% of all voters have to say it's number one. That's, that's not happening. crazy. Yeah, that's not happening. I, I can't imagine it happening either when you, when you really think about what it takes for it to happen. And by but, the way, if there's 5% of those people think Arrival was the best movie they saw in 2016, you lose your vote. Just take it away. That's outrageous. <laughs> I texted this to you. I'm going to say you. it now it's on my so podcast. True. I like Amy Adams. I think she's good. I think she's Alex Smith. I think you can go 10 and 6 with her. Mm. I'm not mm. winning the Super Bowl yeah. with Amy Adams or Alex Smith. I'm sorry. But you know what the thing is, though? She can get you to the Super Bowl. She can get... She can get to the, I she, think she get you she the AFC get Championship Bowl. game. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, I just don't think she's she's had a Super Bowl role. I think here here are my top three. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Enchanted. Yeah. The Fighter. Okay. And um, uh, American Hustle. Those are my top three, Amy Adams. Okay. Also, the Muppet movie. If nobody's seen her in the Muppet movie, she's fantastic. That's my number four. Great. I think she gets I think you the she playoffs. Needs, well, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the problem with Amy Adams, especially in this movie, and especially 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 with Nocturnal Animals, which I think is the worst movie I saw last year. <laughs> it's, um, it's pretty could awful. Also, get a Best Picture nomination, by the way. It's awful, and I enjoyed every minute of it. I I oh just God, I couldn't Bill. believe. No, I I enjoyed it because it, the whole time I was like, why did they do this? Why did they make this? Why, why does did Jake, they do this? Why does Jake Gyllenhaal, he just plays three different types of roles and just alternates. He either plays like the kind of slightly brain damaged guy, he plays the wimp, or he plays like the, the charismatic, you know, bravado guy. And he just kind of, he looks at these scripts and just goes into one of those three corners. 
Yeah, I don't exactly know what the appeal of, of, of this part was. I think that Tom Ford has tricked all of Hollywood into believing that he's a talented director. He is a total hack. He's a total Almodovar Hitchcock ripoff. Yeah. Nothing original happens in his movies. And he basically makes two-hour and five-minute cologne commercials that don't smell very good. I agree it's with like, it. I agree with everything you just said. But they're very pretty to watch. It's a very pretty movie. It keeps you the colors are nice. It does If like, you want to fall for that, if you want to fall for a catalog movie, that's fine. Sue yourself. Listen. I want a movie movie. I never I never really lost attention. Now granted, I watched this movie on a screener as I played poker on my iPad, so maybe I'm not the best <laughs> the best audience for it. But uh yeah, I don't. The Jake Gyllenhaal's IMDb choices, at some point, need to be studied just really carefully by well, all of humanity to, to wonder to what's Amy, happening. Go to, let's go back to Amy Adams for one second. Like, what is this? What is Nocturnal Animals asking her to do? It is asking her to nothing. She's perform bad reading by taking off and putting on a pair of extra large glasses, yeah, so that people in the audience can know she is actually reading this manuscript. It right. is the it is it is is a movie made about smart people by a stupid person. Well, it just doesn't make any sense. And it's another one where when people are like, you know, there aren't any, there aren't enough good roles for black actors and actresses. It's like that's a role that that any person could have played because you don't have to do anything. You could have had Serena Williams play that role. Or Serena, Serena, just pretend you're reading something here. That could have been the gimmick of the movie. And Serena Williams in her most dramatic performance ever. Um, how much how much weight guilt are we going to get with these Oscar votes this year, in your opinion? I don't know. It's a great question. I mean, I think, listen, I don't think they really believe in the guilt. This is the problem, right? Okay. This is how a movie like Crash can, can be best picture because they don't think they don't think that's a guilty choice. They think that a movie like Crash is really speaking to what it's like to live in Los Angeles as a white person. Yeah. On behalf of people of color, by the way. Yeah. I think that I think that the whole and you and I have talked about this before, but I actually think the most important shot in any American movie, I think maybe ever, is the hug that Sandra Bullock gives that housekeeper at the end of Crash. I think that it tells you everything you need to know about that town this country in some weird way and what what those people in the academy think is representative of their values and their views like you can just hug your your housekeeper and all things will just be it'll it'll be okay and i'm sorry yeah. um i think that that to me is 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 part of the problem but i also don't think that it's the guilt that they might feel from last year to the extent that they feel any at all I don't think it's really going to manifest in any way beyond something from Moonlight and, and Viola Davis winning Best Supporting Actress. But those are things that would happen anyway, like with, with, with or without White Gill. You know, I just feel like Viola Davis, because they, because they, they dropped her down as Supporting Actress, she should be in the Best Actress category. That's just like, I don't, I mean, you, you'll have a perfect metaphor for this, but it really is kind of like, I don't know Serena Williams and going going and playing on the ITF for a couple of weeks. It's like, of course she's going to win all the titles. She's she's Viola Davis. She's going to she's going to clean up in Best Supporting Actress because she's giving a lead performance that has more screen time than any other other people that will be nominated with her. Listen, but you are you're I'm, in on Michelle Williams. No, I'm glad Viola Davis is going to win the uh, the Oscar because she's a great actress. But 
she's yeah. not a supporting actress in that movie. And, no. you know, the bottom line is nobody cares and we can make up whatever rules we want. <laughs> like the OJ thing, Ezra, that was phenomenal. It was developed for TV. It was always supposed to be a TV thing. And now it's a movie because they released it in a theater for a week. They just make up their own rules with this stuff. Wait, 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 wait. I want to go back to this OJ thing because we disagree on this. Okay. I think that it was, it was, it might have been conceived for television by somebody, but my experience with it was as a movie. And I think many other people, I mean, the majority of people who've seen OJ have seen it on television. It's true. But I think the reason that it's been playing in movie theaters all year or since it came out in the summer is because it actually does work as a movie. It is, it is primarily, for me at least, a movie. And I think that a lot of rep houses across the country have played this like one night a week. Yeah. Um, and they've been doing that pretty much all year, and they haven't broken it up into parts. They played the whole thing. And I think that it's, it is, it is, that is sort of what's incredible about this as, an, as, a, as a sort of like achievement in terms of structure, is that you can break it up into parts, but it also just works if you sit there for seven and a half hours or however long it is. Um, I, listen, I, I don't know. I, I don't like really if, care. If they... I, I, no, I, I mean, I don't really care what category it's in. I would care if I was one of the other nominees, you know, and of I would course, care if yeah. I'm, if I'm Michelle Williams and I have like four scenes in that movie and two of those scenes are like two of the best scenes anyone's had this year and are two of the most emotionally wrenching scenes that we've had in the last five years. And then you see, Viola Davis in Fences and she's a lead actress and she's equally in that movie with Denzel. I don't know what the minute breakdown is, but I know she's not a best supporting actress, but they put her in that category. Ultimately, who gives a shit? I would care if I was nominated and I would care if, if I'm in the documentary category and I'm going against Ezra's OJ movie, that would be what I grasped onto. Like that's seven and a half hours that was developed by ESPN. What the hell? The point is, it doesn't seem like there's anybody moderating this stuff, and people can do whatever they want. Like, Denzel could have put himself in the Best Supporting Actor. He could have, right? <laughs> oh, but do you think he would have? <laughs> the what? Who would have? To, to your point, yeah. I just said, nobody's moderating. You can do whatever you want. Like, Anthony Hopkins won an Oscar. He was in Silence of the Lambs for 16 minutes, and he won Best Actor. Right. So, at that well, point, it's like, I mean, who the fuck knows? Yeah, but I think, I mean, a lot of this for me, and I guess as a person who's just been, like, really, I don't know, environmentally trained to pay attention to this stuff, I actually think it comes down to what you believe. What I mean, if I'm a voter, what do I believe this person's value is to this movie, either in terms of what the plot has them doing or in terms of their overall effect on my, on my either memory of or enjoyment of that movie? Um, and I actually think, I mean, Hopkins is a great example of, Impact. of what happens when, right. He should have just won. Yeah. And, and I think Viola Davis could have won for best actress. That's I the thing. Agree. Why didn't she, she they totally just put her in that category? Yep. She totally would have won. I think, I think that the people who demoted her just thought it would be a lock. And I think that she... I don't want to. I don't want to think for Viola Davis, but I do think that there was a little bit of whiplash on behalf of, if not her, then people around her. Where Meryl Streep won for the Iron Lady and she lost for the Help. Um, I think the assumption Fair. was that she was going to win, 
and yeah. she didn't. And I, I, I just think that there's somebody out there looking out for her who doesn't want her to go through that again. Um, to like be nominated for Best Actress, be the front runner, and have Emma Stone win Best Actress. I just think that this no, is a don't get safe me started on Emma she's... Stone Best Actress. Right. Don't get well, me started on that. I mean, one. how about this? You're in a musical. Get on it? No, if you if you're in a musical, have a voice that's above average. If it's a big budget musical, just have an above <laughs> average voice. You just have to. Yeah. And I think Anne Hathaway. I think, I think Anne Hathaway is probably. Has to be um, medicated every day that she didn't get that part. <laughs> she just got it's just got to drive her crazy. It's, for it? No, it's just she had to have seen La La Land and been like, "Oh my god, that would have been the part of my life." And I hate everything. And give me some pills, just taking pills but to see, forget I, my pain. I actually, I actually think that she. I mean, first of all, I think Anne Hathaway is fine. I think second, <laughs> I, I it depends on how you're watching this movie, right? I think I accept the convention. I think I accept the average person doing X thing convention. I accept the idea that she, that Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling aren't supposed to be, nobody who sings this the movie point? is supposed to be good at singing. Right. right. I think that is part of, of what's supposed to be charming about it. I think that what is unfortunate about Emma Stone is she really doesn't sound that great yeah. from song to song. Um but I also think that she sort of is deserved by all of the attention the movie is getting and the idea that she's going to win an Oscar for it is, is a little distasteful for some people given how little there is for her to do as an, as an actor, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, she obviously is the person who gives the performance can dispute that, that read. But I think she's really wonderful in the movie. I think that her... I think the only person of the five women likely to be nominated on on Tuesday is the only person the only clear winner the only person who like is is inarguably great is is Isabelle Huppert um which you should you should see that movie by the way if you haven't already that was one of the only ones I didn't see I really liked Haley Stanfield in Edge of 17 who's not going to get nominated but you told me about that I really and liked I watched her. that movie and I was I was shocked that is a, that is a good movie it's a good movie and she's great in it and I think she's going to be a really good actress I think Keanu Reeves has to watch all of this very carefully because when John Wick 2 gets all the nominations next February, <laughs> I think he should nominate himself as Best Supporting Actor. I think he would have a better chance. Even though he's in every scene of John Wick, why not? You'd have a better chance of Best Supporting. Um, here's the other thing with, with putting yourselves in categories. Why isn't OJ, if OJ is going to be a movie, why not just be in the movie category? Isn't that a better well, and more memorable movie than any movie we had in 2016? Just go for the fucking home listen, run. I think, well, this should tell you a lot about how this process works, right? I mean, I'm with you. I think it is the best movie I saw last year. Me um, too. If it's I a movie, it was the a, best movie I saw last year. I think there's an obvious... <laughs> I heard that. Uh I think that if you're, I mean, there's any number of ways to answer. I think the one, one, one way is the is just the way things work now. Nobody campaigned for it as the best picture nominee, or nobody made a made a credible enough or strong enough campaign for it as the best picture nominee. The thinking with these animated films and and, and documentaries is that there's a category for you, and it's very hard to get out of your Oscar category ghetto. Yeah. So the idea of of OJ being a, a legitimate best picture nominee isn't the fault of ESPN, and it's not, you know, the movie's fault. It's the limited thinking around the way the Academy thinks of a Best Picture nominee and a Best Picture winner. 
The same is true for pick the animated movie you've loved most in the last, you know, 20 years. Do you want to hear the, the Simmons, same, the the same Simmons kids for, for this year? Uh, wait, which, which movie? No, just the movies they love this year. Oh they, yeah. Like what, what? Moana was second. Sing was third. And what was the other movie that came out like six, seven Zootopia. months ago? Zootopia. No, that wasn't, that wasn't, they liked, there was that another. That wasn't it? No. Maybe Moana was one. Finding Dory? It's, it's the high, it's, it's the glory time for uh, animated movies. Like, oh, that's yeah. kind of the I mean, irony of 2016 is that the actual, those middle ground movies are disappearing, but kids' movies are more fantastic than they've ever been. And seeing is. And they're also adult movies. If you've seen Zootopia, right. you know that, like, the middle. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a great point, actually. Zootopia is as much an adult movie as it is something for kids. They mastered it. Dory- they, they, well, just like the concept of, hey, somebody was in a room and said, hey, what if the animals sang and there was a contest? It's like pitch perfect with the mm-hmm. animals. And somebody mm-hmm. else was like, done, get mm-hmm. the animators going. It's like, that's a home run. And that's how they're thinking all the time. And my kids saw the first preview of that. They were like, we're going. When's that coming out? Animals are singing. I'm in. <laughs> that's all they needed. Kids are easy. Yeah. We've mastered how to make kids movies. I think OJ was, if, you know, it's the best thing I saw in 2016. I don't know how that gets properly commemorated, but at the very least, it's it, the best documentary a- Oscar seems like a fair way to do it. Um, yeah. I don't know. Does this no, mean I mean, it's not sure. eligible for the Emmys? It's not, right? No, it's eligible for the Emmys too. See, that's con- now. TV. Now I'm confused. Now I'm confused. No, no, no. I mean, this this is all about positioning, and I think they can position it as as both. I mean, there are several movies that have been in have either one both the Oscar and the Emmy, or have been nominated for both. And like won what? one or one, one the other. Which one? Uh, oh, you would ask, wouldn't you? Yeah, and I, um, don't, I don't ever I remember mean, it. Can I, wait, hold on, let me, let me, let, no, me, let, me, right. let me think about this. Um, Tate's going to Google as we talk. Okay. Wait, um. um I, but, so anyway, go on. I, oh, oh, I would say also. I think if you're a best, if you're if you're in the, in the in the director's branch of the academy and you've seen the OJ movies, I don't I don't know. I feel like that is also one of the best directed movies I have seen all year. It's also one of the best edited movies, obviously, I've seen all year. Well, um, I know one thing that's happened I, with the directors guild that I haven't heard anyone talk about that I know because a little birdie told me after what happened last year, the directors guild has. Um, I think they beefed up the guild from a diversity standpoint, which they should have done years ago, obviously. But I have a feeling there's a more diverse group of people maybe in all of these, all of these places voting would be my guess. The mm-hmm. Academy, the Directors mm-hmm. Guild, the Writers Guild, whatever. And for something like, uh, like the OJ, that's, that's good for if, if the Directors Guild is voting on that. That's a good thing, Right. Yeah, not just no, old white great. guys. <laughs> yeah, but there's. I mean, it's still going to be mostly. It's still going to be mostly that. Yeah. Um, quick break to talk about our friends at ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Well, posting your job in one place isn't enough anymore. For the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites, and now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, post your job to 100-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, and you can do it all with a single click. Find candidates in any city or industry 
Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll in to ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by over 1 million businesses. Man, the ringer might have to use it to find our West Coast social media head. We still need one. In the meantime, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Once again, ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Back to Wesley Morris. What subplot are you the most excited about heading into this Oscars? Because right now it doesn't feel like there's a signature subplot, which is weird. Well, I mean, obviously Trump is going to somehow be a subplot. So that, yeah, I mean, that's going to happen. What if he tweets during the Oscars? (laughs) He's going to tweet during the Oscars, and you know, Jimmy's going to be on the case. Jimmy Kimmel is going to be on the case. He he is ready Um, for that moment. I also think that he, I mean, he might be the perfect host for this for this year's show. And I'm not saying this because you guys are are friends. I actually think, and you know, I my disclaimed my enthusiasm for his Emmy hosting. Because I think that was some of the best award show hosting I've ever seen. He yeah. was just, he worked the whole time. He was funny the whole time. The writing was there for him. And he's just really, he's good at thinking on his feet. Yeah. And he felt very comfortable in that room. Yeah. Um, and he's comfortable with celebrities. I think he's, you know, we've seen people who host the Oscars either they perform and then they go the Billy Crystal route or they, they just try to be a stand up comic. And they have a lot of, they, they work on stuff ahead of time and they don't really audible. And I think like Carson was the best ever at it. And Carson kind of read the mood as the night went along and, and ebbed and flowed with it. And I think that's what Jimmy has a chance to do. You know, it's a really, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's, it's a big stage for him, but he's had a lot of reps and I think he's ready for it. And, you know, I think he's going to celebrate it and be funny, but at the same time as stuff happens during the night, He'll be ready, and it's a long night, and it's it's boring for huge chunks, and you need somebody who's can kind of have a feel for what the audience is going through. Not it, not just in the room, but on TV. So, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, I think you're right. I think Trump is as crazy as it sounds. Probably, probably the uh, lingering subplot, and I don't know what movie we'll remember the most in five years from now. But I, I think for me personally, having seen all of them except for I think two. Um, the scene with, with Casey Affleck and Michelle Williams is the one that's going to stick with me. I think mm, out of everything, interesting. I think the, I think the phone call, uh, in the third part of Moonlight, when the phone rings and Trevante Rhodes, who plays the last Sharon, yep. um, uh, when his jaw drops, that is, that is, that is some of the best directed non-acting acting that I've ever seen. I agree. Um, and I I've think that was the best... Any question, I, by the way. I think that was the best movie of the, uh, that I saw this this year, if OJ doesn't count. Yeah. I mean, it counts. It's just not going to be an Oscar nominee right. category. Right. Uh, scared Straight, double double Oscar winner, double Emmy Oscar winner, 79. Oh, Scared um, Straight. Other nominees. Yeah, Scared Straight, of course. Who could forget? Uh oh! If, if nobody's seen Scared Straight, by the way, you yeah. should totally watch. The movie. It's now a comedy. It, it, that <laughs> Bill, no, it actually still works. Really? Yeah, it still works. It's scary. Yeah, it's probably on YouTube. It still works. Um, it's still a little bit racist too, but it it actually yeah. it, 
effective. Um, five broken cameras, Paradise Lost three, Purgatory, both nominees. Um, oh, Paradise Lost. In, in, nominees in both characters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Loving Story. Um, oh, they didn't. They, no, 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 never mind. Let's just stick with Paradise Lost. And, and that's Dirty. a good. Yeah, that's a good role model. All right. Uh, quickly, because you have to go. Oh, by the way, we should mention your podcast. Still, still processing with Jenna Wortham. One of, still one of the best people. with Jenna Wortham. I made an appearance a uh, month oh, ago. Jenna I is fun. one of the best people. You were correct. Yeah. Um, so the March, did you go? Uh, I did not go. I can't go. I'm not allowed as a New York Times employee. I did watch a lot and like receive texts and I was on Twitter and watched all, looked at all the pictures and I, I, I would like to have been there, but I also am not really into that many people being around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but I support, you know, obviously I'm, I, I can't, the amazing thing about the marches to me as an American is that this is the sort of thing that happens in other people's countries all the time, or not with, with not infrequently. And the idea that now we live in a country like many South American countries where people protest all the time, uh, we're protesting as a way of life. We we could finally be on the verge of becoming one of those countries as a result of this election. And to see as many people in as many cities turn out the way they did was just. It was, it was it was amazing. It was moving, and also to have um, to have it aimed at a, at a specific problem, which is the incoming administration, is is maybe the most um, the most major response to what happened in November. Um, and I don't know where where we go after this. You know, I mean, I think that the importance of doing that that march in all the cities around the world where it happened is that. That march is speaking his language, right? It's it's speaking a language he refuses to acknowledge is his language, right? Which is, you know, the number of people in a crowd. But I think that he understands what those people coming out for him means. He could misinterpret it as being a kind of support or like, I'm someone who warns this kind of, of outrage. But, you know, when you've got Madonna singing that song or like, you know, giving that speech that she gave um, about him and then just being like, you know, fuck you on behalf of, of all of us. I mean, this is a, uh, it's going to be an interesting and scary and, and, and un, I would say unprecedented uh, four years. <laughs> it's, it's certainly been an interesting, think? it's been an interesting first week. I was fascinated by, you know, my daughter's 11 and a half now. And she went with my wife and just... Do they stay in L.A. or do they go to D.C.? No, they went to the L.A. one. Although we did know some people who went to D.C. before it became clear that there was an L.A. thing. Some people had made arrangements that we know to go to D.C. But um, watching the impact on that generation, and I think the, the, the kids from maybe... The kids old enough to understand, I would say, would be seven years old. Maybe they don't understand mm-hmm. you know, the issues, but they understand something and they want to be a part of it that seven all the way through, I would say like 10th grade, 11th grade, that part's fascinating to me because I think the previous generation just stuff wasn't on their radar at all, you know? And you think like my 11 and a half year old daughter, who's not exactly online reading stuff and knowing what's going on, who actually now is starting to think about things, you know, I think that's, that's to me is, is, the hidden cool thing about 
stuff like what happened last weekend is to get people just thinking, you know, and whether, whatever conclusion they want to come to, come to that conclusion, but at least just to get thinking and, you know, when you have kids who are like, especially now they're in their own little bubbles and they have their friends and they're on Instagram and they're on Musical.ly and all these, all these devices, these social things. And it's like, this is way more important than that. And I was psyched that they actually were thinking about it. If that makes sense. I also think it's really important that it was, that it was women who did this, that it's women standing up to this person. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that energy means so much more politically than it would be if it was just a bunch of people. I think that it was that, that because these protests were driven by women, um, that's another thing I think that he, that, that people paying attention to this are likely to hear. I also think it's really important in the sense that, I don't know, there's a Hillary component to this that I haven't really processed, but I think it, it's not absolution, but it really is, I, I think aiming, there, there's something aimed at those 53, at that 53% of women who voted for him. Yeah. And, and this idea that like women didn't show up for Hillary and, and all of this stuff. And I, I, I reject that. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. I'm not here to dispute those. I'm not Sean Spicer. But I do think that there, there's another energy. And I think that, you know, she did win the popular vote, <laughs> not insignificantly. And I, I am curious to see what kind of energy this creates around women in American politics. And where 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 that energy goes? Because I mean, what we're talking really about now is energy. It's like you create the will to stand up to this administration, whatever it is, it's going to do. Um, is it going to is it going to roll back women's reproductive rights? Is it going to is it going to further is it going to help further destroy the environment? Um, what's it going to do for for immigrants and immigration? Um, you know, what's it going to do for any number of civil liberties uh, scenarios? Uh, voting rights. I mean, there's just so many things. I mean, you know, health care. Pick a thing. It is on, it is, it is on the slab, perhaps doomed. Um, and I think that it's going to require kind of vigilance. I'm actually really curious to see what happens to art is, is really the, the other thing. I think that there, there's all of this. I'd like to see, like, imagine if Mad Max came out now, if Mad Max Fury, Fury Road came out like in July, as opposed to like two Julys ago. Yeah. Well, in music you know, too I is mean, another thing where you think you, know, you had this whole great era of rock music from '68 through '75, basically, and a lot of it was about the discord that was going on in this country and around the world because of all the things that were happening, and it produced some of the best music we've ever had. And mm-hmm. I'll be interested to see if how that how that kind of unfolds in 2017 and 2018 and beyond. And maybe it won't. Maybe it won't yeah, do anything. Too. Maybe we don't have the people. Um, from a movie wow. standpoint, from a movie's TV standpoint, I think I think you're gonna. It'll be like about six nine more months, and then we'll start to see. Fantasy and I were talking about whether. You remember there was that weird stretch of movies in the mid seventies where it was like a lot of three days of the condor type of movies. It was a lot of it about mm-hmm. the government yeah. is evil. The parallax and view. Capricorn one. There were all these different movies mm-hmm. that came out during that stretch and you could kind of feel what was going on from the Nixon White House and then after. And 
even all the way through like Silkwood. But it, it was like this yep. eight year run of just you could feel whatever was going on in the country seeping into these movies. And then you had all the Vietnam movies like Deer Hunter, Apocalypse Now. Um, I'll be interested to see if that happens with movies and how that seeps in. And is there going to be a paranoia? Is the paranoid thriller going to come back? Coster, this might be great for him. Coster might have yeah. No Way Out too. Might be might be in, in the script <laughs> development. But uh, yeah, well, who the know, hell knows? It, it goes it goes right back to what you were talking about, though. There is now no movie making apparatus to handle what is going on in this administration. You know what I mean? There's no middle, which is where all those movies in the 70s were. It's true. There was a middle. There was a large middle to yeah. handle being able to be, to handle Nixon era paranoia, to handle the war, to handle any number of, of isms and, and, and ism movements. You know, the idea that a network could happen in, in, in 2016, just, it's inconceivable to me. You know, but network is now on TV, basically. This is the it last thing. That's how it works. I'm leaving you with this, and then we have to go. I took my son to see The Bye Bye Man on Saturday because I'm a terrible father, and he loves horror movies. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's PG-13. I thought it was defensible. Uh, he just loves horror movies. What am I going to do? Faye Dunaway is in it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to leave you with that. Faye Dunaway. <laughs> yeah, There's Faye a Dunaway scene with... not happening in 2016. They have to go see an old lady in a house... Who knows stuff about what's going on in the movie, and it's Faye Dunaway. Yeah, yeah. Faye. So there you go. You just never know how All your right. career is going to play out down the line. Faye Dunaway, top of the world, mid-70s, now uh, making a two-scene cameo in The Bye-Bye Man. Wesley Morris, we can read you in the New York Times. We can listen to your podcast, Still Processing. And uh, and I'm excited to to see what you say about these Oscar nominations. I'm sure something will make us mad, right? Yeah, we'll we'll talk about them after they happen tomorrow. All right. Or Tuesday. All right. Sad everyone in New York. Thank you. Okay. See ya. All right. That's it for the podcast. We are coming back on Wednesday. But before then, thanks to the Ringer NBA show, one of the best NBA podcasts out there. We have Chris Vernon, Kevin O'Connor, Chris Ryan, Chase Serrano, and others breaking down hoops every single week. This week, Kevin O'Connor interviewed Celtic star Isaiah Thomas, who is going to make the All-Star team because he deserves it. Check that podcast out. And we also have the Shack House Golf Podcast returning later this month with hosts Joe House and Jeff Shackelford presented by Callaway Shack House. Thanks to SeatGeek. Don't forget to download the SeatGeek app. Thanks to Roast Battle. It launches on January 26th on Comedy Central. Thanks to Harry's. Go to harrys.com. Code BS for a special offer. Thanks to MeUndies. Go to MeUndies.com slash BS for a special offer. We're back midweek with the one and only Bill Burr. Until then.